Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. Of course, I'm talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is UFC Brunson versus Holland, an exciting middleweight tilt, which, between you and me, is one of the tilts that I actually think might determine a next title challenger or close to it in the middleweight division. But those of you who frequent the show know we won't be breaking down the middleweight division or that top fight or any of the fights on the main card for that matter because this is the prelim primer where we focus only on the early portion of the card. Now for those of you who are new to the show and wondering why just the early portion, why just the no names, why aren't you going in deep on this main card? The answer is pretty simple. The answer is that we know that you guys know who Derek Brunson is. We know you know who Kevin Holland is, maybe Gregor Gillespie, Brad Riddell. But you probably don't know who a lot of these guys are on the prelim portion of the card, especially this weekend. And we're here to help you, whether you're playing daily fantasy sports, you're gambling, you're doing pick apps No matter what you're doing, you could use a little help on the prelims. And speaking of pick apps I'd be remiss if I did not mention that this show is brought to you by Fanatics MMA. Fanatics MMA is the most comprehensive MMA pick app that exists on the market today. They give you fighter bios, records, odds, all in the palm of your hand while you make your picks. Plus, let me tell you something. The scoring system is really my favorite feature because it uses odds to show you how good you're doing. So no longer do you have to worry about that guy winning your pick'em contest by going chalk all week. And instead, you have to use the Vegas odds to show how you're doing against the Vegas books. It really winds up working like a fight IQ score more than a win-loss percentage because let's face it, all picks aren't created equal, so you might as well not be scored that way either. I highly encourage you to download it wherever it is you download apps. You can also check it out in our bio or in our show notes and listen on a little bit later in the show and I can tell you a little bit more about it. Now, let's get to that bulk of the show. Joining me today as my co-host from the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben, Kurt Chase Patrick. Kurt, thanks so much for joining me. Hey man, thanks. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. All right, guys. And as you know, we always start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Marion Renault versus Macy Chason. So Renault actually has three straight losses. She lost to Kat Zingano, Yana Kunitskaya, and Raquel Pennington, all by decision. Certainly no shame in any of those losses, but three in a row for Renault. Chason, meanwhile, two and one in her last three. She last beat Shanna Young back in February. So uh, the question I have here is based on Chason. When we saw her fight Lena Landsberg, she kind of got showed that if there's a superior wrestler in a fight, she can kind of get beaten up a little bit and kind of controlled. Is there any chance you give Marion Renault to mimicking the game plan that Landsberg went with? It's kind of surprising, right? Because Chase on her frame is, is very big for the weight class. I mean, she looked kind of big at 145 and then coming back down to one, uh, you know, to 135. She's got a big frame. She's tall. She's lanky. Um, I do think there's a chance for Renault to do that, but, uh, the age is definitely a a plus side for Chase on. I think the height, um, she's going to be able to keep Renault uh, on the end of her punches. But Renault, Renault's a dog, right? I mean, the woman is, I believe, 43 years old. And she's, uh, like you said, she's fought some of the best in the world. Uh, I don't think she's going to be able to get it done uh, just based on the height and reach advantage. But you never know. Maybe she does get inside, gets her to the cage, and uh, find some routes to the ground there. I definitely agree with you. My my biggest concern about Renault here is just like 
not being able to get on the inside of those punches. You know, I, I do think she's actually pretty talented when it does hit the ground. And, and should she get on top of Chase on, I, I could see her staying there for almost a round. I just worry that that's not going to happen in two out of three rounds. Um, and even if she does get on the inside, like you said, Chason, very physically strong. One of the strongest women in that division. Um, you know, she, she's built like a tower. So I just have a tough time believing Renault is going to get her down enough to get any chance of a decision. Um, and, I, and I certainly don't see her finishing Chason. So um, it feels like we're both leaning Chason. How do you see her winning this one? Yeah, I, I think this is Chason's fight to win. I think um, she's probably getting Renault at the right time. And it is a big step up for her. But I got Chason. I think she gets her done. Uh, gets it done by decision. I think Renault pushes her enough to where we answer some questions about Chason. But in the end, she wins by decision. Yeah, I kind of agree with you on that one. I just don't see the finishing ability there against the upper echelon of the Bantamweight division, which is really where she's getting here, right? Renault is a top 10 fighter. Um, and that brings us to our second fight, which is Leonardo Santos versus Grant Dawson. So Santos actually has six wins in a row, an eight-fight undefeated streak that includes people like Kevin Lee, Anthony Rocco Martin, and Efrain Escadero. Of course, that eight-fight win streak starts eight years ago. So he has won eight fights in eight years, although still undefeated in the UFC. Dawson, meanwhile, 4-0 in the UFC, but all of that happened either at catchweight or featherweight. He's now moving up to lightweight. Of course, he last beat Nadnar Armani at an 150-pound catchweight back in July. So my question for you here is about Santos. If we're going to ask some unknowns, it's got to be about the 41-year-old who's fought eight times in eight years. How, how do you even wrap your head around what kind of fighter he could be here against Dawson, who we've really have never even seen at this weight class? Yeah, this is a really interesting fight, I think, on, on both ends. Santos... Uh, you know, you watch the tape on him, and he's 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 capable on the feet, right? He's got some power, but it's it's on the ground where he does his best work. Um, the thing that I worry about Santos, and again, you said eight fights in eight years, is his ability to deal with the pace, right? Like he can get you down, he can submit you, but Dawson puts out a pretty damn good pace, and if it gets late into the second and the third, and there's a lot of grappling and clinch work um, going on, I wonder about Santos's cardio being 41 years old and just not seeing him um, as much, you know, throughout his career, right? Yeah, and I think that that's such a good point about Dawson is that he puts out that crazy pace. And in addition to that, he no longer has to worry about that monstrous weight cut he was doing, right? Because he's a guy who, who kind of like Jake Matthews sort of grew out of his weight class as he matured a little bit, right? Like Jake Matthews was on 155-pounder and we were like, he can't keep that. He's going to mature. Dawson kind of did the same thing. We were like, he can't stay at featherweight. He's going to get bigger. And he did. And now he's not going to have to kill himself to make 45. So if his pace was good before, I got to imagine it's only better at 55. I also sort of have to imagine he's going to be stronger and more physical and more difficult for Santos to get to the ground. So w when you combine the fact that, you know, we're, we're already kind of discounting Santos in the later rounds, I don't think he's going to have the ability to get him down in the earlier rounds. Yeah, I'm going with Dawson here. How, how do you see Dawson getting it done? I'm going to differ with you, man. I want to say I was on this uh, – I did I did a Santos fight on this show not too long ago, and I think I picked against him possibly, so I'm not going to let that bite me this time. I'm going to go with Santos. I mean the guy is probably like you know the only guy in the UFC on an eight-fight win streak that nobody knows about, right? Yeah, I know he's older, but uh, – I think he gets it done early. I think he catches a kick or something from Dawson, gets him down, finds his way to his back, and submits him in the first round. 
All right, and I'm going to go with the, the pace theory on this one. I'm going to take Grant Dawson, and I'm going to say when when Santos gets tired in the late round, he TKOs him, uh, either with something standard to the ground or if he gets some top position, just laying the ground and pound on him. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, I mentioned at the top of the show that there was a couple other features I wanted to tell you about when you download the Fanatics MMA app. If you haven't done so already, check out our show notes or go to the link in any of our social media bios at Top Turtle MMA, and you can click that link and join in on the Top Turtle MMA group on Fanatics MMA. The really cool thing about this is not only can you challenge me and my picks, but you can also challenge a lot of people that you hear on this show sometimes. So, Check it out right now on Fanatics MMA. Like I said, you can download it in any of our bios, in our show notes, or of course, wherever it is you download apps. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Trevin Giles versus Roman Delize. So Giles, after having a little bit of a rougher go at it, is now one two straight. First one was a controversial split decision over James Krause that a lot of people thought Krause won. And then he beat Bevin Lewis by TKO back in November. Delize, meanwhile, also on a two-fight win streak, his only two fights in the UFC. He most recently beat John Alon by a split decision back in December. So I think a lot of people were really high on Roman Delize after his, his debut. He knocked out Kodasi Brigamoff in like zero seconds. The sophomore effort made me sour a little bit on his prospect status. How about you? Do you still feel as high as people did when he first made the UFC? You know what I do? And going back and and watching a lot of his tape for the show today, I really... He's very well-rounded, right? He can bang and he can put some stuff together on the feet, but it's the mat where he really does a lot of his good work. And he's got a lot of slick submissions. He He can pull guard and attack legs. He's good on top. Um, you know, the thing that worries me in this fight is him taking on late notice. You know, Trevin Giles is the more experienced fighter in the UFC. I think he's fought the better competition. So that gives me a little bit of pause, but, uh, I'm still pretty high on Roman Delize. I I will say too, I'm feeling that same kind of pause on Delize being that it looked like he waned a little bit at the end of that John Alon fight. I know it went split decision. I think I had it pretty clearly in his favor. But if you were questioning the rounds that he was having a tough time with, it was the late rounds. Because let's face it, he's kind of a bigger middleweight, right? Like, he's not a small guy. So for him to be making middleweight constantly, and not only making middleweight constantly, but also, you know, like, now doing it on short notice? um, You know, combining that with the fact that, you know, Trevin Giles is a gamer, it's definitely giving me pause. How about your official prediction? Who you got in this one? Yeah, Trevin Giles throws a lot of power on the feet, and uh, I think it could be like the last fight, right? If it goes a little bit later, he might start to favor Trevin Giles, but I'm going to go Delize. I think he's going to come out uh, knowing he's got to make something happen pretty quick before his cardio saps. I think he gets it done. Uh, I'm going to go second-round submission. I think he finds his way to the mat and finishes Giles. You know what? Let's go heel hook. I think he gets uh, some sort of crazy heel hook. Oh, I would enjoy that. But while you're taking the quick deci- or the quick uh, finishes by the guys with less cardio, I'm going to go with the cardio <laughs> guy again. I'm going to take Trevin Giles. I'm going to take him here actually by decision. While he, he does land the bigger stuff on the feet, I think he's just going to outpace him. He throws enough volume here too that I think he picks up the win. 
And that's going to bring a us... smart choice. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm going with the cardio guys. You go with the big knockout guys, and uh, I'll, I'll win all of them if it's the most boring fight card in history. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that brings us to our next one, and this one shouldn't be boring, and that's Montel Jackson versus Jesse Strader. So Jackson had won three straight in the UFC, but he was most recently beat by Brett Johns his last time out, which was in July. Strader, meanwhile, only 5-1, and one, getting his UFC debut. He last fought on Combate 41. That was in August of 2019, so a long layoff. But the, what we've seen out of Strader is he throws absolute bombs. And what we saw out of Combate veterans last week is that every single one of them is tough as hell. Do you think he has enough of a chance being as tough as hell like Rojo or Rafa, like we saw last week, and getting it done here against Jackson? Yeah, I do. I do. Again, I love the I love the highlights of of just straight in man. He he comes forward with punches and bunches. But again, I think it kind of brings us to a point made in the last fight. Like Strader has not fought since 2019, right? He's also taking this fight on on short notice. And Montel Jackson can strike himself, but I think where uh, you know Montel Jackson could have advantages in this fight, kind of like we were talking about last time, is he can he can wrestle too. Um, so if the going doesn't get uh, does get tough on the feet and straight starts to fade. I think the takedowns could be there. Yeah. And he seems to favor that type of fight too. Like I think he wanted to do what Brett Johns did to him. Like I think he wanted to be that version of Brett Johns. Only he was the one on offense and he's done that before in some of his other fights where he's just been kind of all over his opponent, suffocating him and then big elbows on the top. I think that that is what he sees as a realistic uh, path to victory here. Especially if you watch Strader's highlights and you know the guy's throwing big bombs all the time. You, you don't want to stand and, and try too long with that guy if you feel like you can take him down and beat the hell out of him. So um, I'll, I'll jump the gun here. I'll take Montel Jackson. I'll take him by second round TKO with exactly what I just said. Wearing him out with the takedowns after takedown and then, you know, big ground and pound. How about you? Yeah, I gotta, I, I'm got. i going to play it safe here. I'm going to go with uh, Montel Jackson. Yeah, I think Jesse Strader is going to come out. I think it's going to be really, really interesting early on, but I think the later the fight goes, Montel Jackson is going to get it done. I like your uh, call of the second-round finish. All right, and that's going to do it with the end of our second round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number three. All right, guys, so I hope after the last commercial break, you downloaded Fanatics MMA, and now you're in. You're playing with me and other people like Adam Martin from... From, I mean, he's from a bunch of places, but you probably know him from SureDog. Not only are you now in that group and playing with me, but there's also a chat function in there. So if you're getting sick of your usual place where you chat with MMA fans, you know, maybe you're sick that you think MMA Twitter is a little bit too toxic for you. Maybe your significant other is going to punch you if you bring up MMA again. First of all, you can get that negativity out of here and you can come on over and chat with the people who love the sport as much as you with the chat function on Fanatics MMA. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about J.P. Bays versus Bruno Silva. So Bays won on Contender Series back in November with a guillotine over Jacob Silva. That won him his contract. Silva, meanwhile, 0-3 in the UFC, if you don't count the fact that one of them was a, technically a no contest due to a drug suspension. But he's 2-0 technically in the UFC. Those back-to-back losses are to David Dvorak and Tagiro Lombakov. Uh, so... If you look at Silva's fights in the UFC, each one of them, he's given you like 20 takedown attempts and pretty much has like two minutes of control time to show for it. 
Is that a game plan he should try to impart here on a guy like J.P. Bays who's got a good ground game, or should he be using his energy otherwise here? Yeah, I think he's going to have to use his his energy otherwise here because J.P. Bays has uh, a very slick ground game. He uh, he's got a bunch of different submissions on his resume. He can wrestle. Um, I do think he has the better cardio. Yeah, I, th- I think De Silva is going to have to try to figure out some other way because I think if he, he does go for takedowns, especially errant takedowns, he's going to get guillotined. He's going to get his back taken or he's just going to get flat out put on the mat and beat up. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And here's my other question too. So if you feel that that's true and he should be doing something else, will he do something else? Yeah, man, that's, that might be the million dollar question in this fight. Um, I don't think so. I think he's going to stick to his guns and I think it's going to come back to bite him. Yeah, I do too. And for that reason, I'm going to take JP Bays here. And I actually think what probably happens is when Silva shoots in on a takedown there, Bays stuffs him and moves to the back, gives me a rear naked choke. Or heck, I, I can even see him getting a guillotine because he can pretty much get the choke from anywhere. How do you see this getting done? Yeah, I'm, think, I'm thinking guillotine. I'm thinking guillotine on an errant shot. He locks it up, finishes him pretty quick. All right, and that brings us to our very last fight, which is a fun women's bantamweight fight between Julia Avila and Julia Storienko. So Avila last lost to Sajara Eubanks by December by decision back in September. She was two and zero prior to that. Stoliarenko, meanwhile, got a short notice debut against Yana Kunitskaya, which in retrospect is a crazy debut to have to make after some pretty crazy Invicta fights as well. So. I guess my question here for Avila is, she, last time out, she looked like she had a tough time not being the stronger, not being the more physical fighter against Sajara Eubanks, and, and that had ne- really never happened to her prior, right? Like, she's super physically strong for the Bantamweight division, kind of like we talked about with Chason. Is there any chance that Stoliarenko can kind of do that same thing that Eubanks did to her? I think so. Uh, you know, both these ladies are very aggressive. Um and they're both very good in the clinch in two different ways, right? I think Julia Avila, uh, Julia Avila is um, good in the clinch, uh, going for takedowns. She does have a decent ground game, whereas Storielenko does a, a lot of really good work in the clinch with knees, um, elbows. Man, I, I just, I, this is a really fun fight. Honestly, one of the funner fights on this undercard. I think they're both going to meet in the center, and it is going to be fireworks. Yeah, and that you mentioned the clinch work too, and I'm super interested if it does wind up in the clinch because you know like Stoliarenko likes the the body lock and throws knees and yes. and you know like we get elbows out of Avila and and just pure like double leg takedown attempts occasionally. But I also am so interested in how this looks in the center of the cage too because Avila has shown that she can throw some absolute bombs too, right? Like she she really hurt Gina Mazzani in that fight. I mean, I think that one took 30 seconds. Um, and, and you just don't see finishes like that in any women's division right now. So for her to be going out there and doing damage standing, I think it probably gives her a slight advantage in this one because, like like you said, it might wind up being a stalemate when they get to the clinch. But I kind of hope it winds up in the clinch at least a time or two so we can answer some questions about both of these women. Um, but ultimately, I, I guess we are just about to the end of this round, so i got to ask you who you got in this one and how do you got them? It's a tough one. Uh, you know, I, I really like what Storielenko does, um, but I'm going to go with Vila. I, I just think Avila has uh, more experience against better competition. Uh, I like her pace. Uh, so I'm going to go with Vila by decision. I would not be surprised either way. Uh, I do think it's going to be a really, really fun fight, though. 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a fun fight too, and I'm going to go with you on this one. I see a Velo win in this one, mostly because, like I said, I, I not only have faith in her clinch work, and, and you know it might be a stalemate in the clinch, but I also think ultimately she's probably just a little cleaner of a striker and probably a little heavier of a striker too. So I'm going to go with Avila, and actually I wouldn't be super surprised if she got a late TKO here because I do think, like you said, her cardio is a little bit better, and, and I'm pretty high on her power. And yeah. that's that's going to do it for the last one of our six fights. We gave you guys six fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. I also would be remiss if I did not mention that Anthony Burchock is supposed to fight on this prelim card. We are not quite sure of who his opponent is at this time because Johnny Eduardo has dropped out for the 785th time in his career. And we are no longer going to see him for, I mean, probably another three years and when he's 48 years old. So uh, keep an eye out for Anthony Burchock. Unfortunately, he did not have an opponent at our time of taping. Um, and to wrap this all up, I of course want to thank my co-host Kurt Chase Patrick from the Fix Fights podcast with Kurt and Ben. Make sure to listen to that each and every week. Kurt, thanks so much for joining me, man. Thank you, man. It's always a pleasure to be on. Can't wait to do it again soon. <laughs>